Welcome to Big Rich Brock and Friends. Big Rich brings his clean comedy and storytelling to the weekly podcast that is laugh out loud and funny with a side of inspiration. Here is your host, Big Rich Brock. Hi, I'm Big Rich Brock, and thanks so much for tuning in to Big Rich Brock and Friends. I'm having a great time doing this podcast. And I hope you're enjoying it. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And you can follow me at at Big Rich Brock Comedy on Facebook, Instagram. You can find me on YouTube and find a lot of my videos and things I've been working on on the comedy scene. And of course, my website is BigRichBrockComedy.com. And I would love for you to check it out, be a part and uh, enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, I started doing comedy when I was a little boy, I believe, and I learned the power of storytelling and laughter as a young boy growing up in Chickamauga, Georgia. And there's some grown people that can't even say Chickamauga, and I learned how to say it as a child. And I love being from Chickamauga. It's a great place to grow up. It was a great place to raise a family. And I am a 1900s kid. I grew up in a time before the computer, before the cell phone. I remember the first cell phone that I saw. I was riding in a car that I worked for this place in the summer. And the kind of job I had, I had to do all the stuff that the illegal aliens wouldn't do. I mean, it was hard work and just grunt work and running around. But I remember that one of the guys I worked for said, you need to take my car and uh, get it washed. I said, I'll be happy to. Now, this man is now family. He was dating my cousin at the time. So I had a little bit of liberty with him compared to other people there. And I got in that car and I noticed, I said, oh my gosh, there's a phone in this car. I'd never heard of such. And it was in a bag and it was plugged in. So what'd you do as a 16 year old boy? I got on the phone and called every girl I knew in Chickamauga. If I knew their phone number, I called them. And I'm over there, guess where I'm calling from? You know, thinking I was somebody because I was calling from a cell phone in a car. Well, the next month I get called in at work and my cousin's uh, friend that was a boy at the time, he said, hey, I've looked up some of these numbers. These are all 16, 17 year old girls. My phone bill was $850 this month and you're about 400 of it. I thought, man, I only made uh, $134 a week. That was going to be a month's pay. And he said, what were you doing? I said, I was just calling people, telling them where I was calling from. And he just kind of shook his head. He says, well, this one I'll take care of, but just don't let it happen again. So thank goodness for him. And uh, I'm glad he, he loved my cousin and they're happily married today. Or I'd still be probably paying for making those long. Di- they weren't even long distance. It's just local calls. But when you live in Chickamauga, Georgia, back in the 1900s, you couldn't call anywhere. But inside Chickamauga, it was long distance. I remember when I was dating the, the mother of my children, she lived in Dalton, Georgia. And she and I were dating in the uh, late 80s and early 90s 
and it was a long distance phone call. My dad came to me and he gave me a $20 bill. He goes, the next time you got something to say to that girl, drive down there and tell her. He goes, the phone bill's killing us because it costs so much back then. And today my kids wouldn't have a clue what a long distance phone call would be because we don't have that now. Thank God for that technology and that we don't have to pay those crazy bills anymore. But man, when you grow up in the 1900s, there's a lot of things in are different. I love when they interview these folks that are like 100 years old and ask them what the biggest changes that they've seen. And they all say the computer. I mean, all of them that just about will say that, or they'll, some will even say television, you know, back in the day. But you think about all the things we have now. Man, video games. My kids love video games. And I see kids today, man, they're playing video games. You know what I had? I had Pong, man, P-O-N-G. Google it if you've never heard of it. All Pong was was a black and white little box that you bought at the Kmart, and you got home, and you plugged it into your TV, and it had two knobs on it, and you played table tennis back and forth. It was a white dot on a black screen with two little old white bars, and you hit it back and forth. And if, when you're an only child like me, you had to play high lie. Because you didn't have a partner, so you just played Eli. Unless you got really good, you did both knobs at the same time. And I got good at that. Come on, somebody. And had fun. But that's what we had. And then lo and behold, man, the heavens opened and something came out on the scene called Atari. And at the same time Atari came out, the Intellivision came out. The Intellivision was about $25 more than an Atari, but in television had all sports games primarily. And I love sports and I wanted it in television and lo and behold, one Christmas, I got it. And man, I thought that thing was awesome. My friends would come over just to look at it, just to get to play it for an hour or two. Cause nobody had an in television in Chickamauga, Georgia, except old little Richie and the friends would come over and we'd play. I'd go to their house and play Atari. But if you look at that game now, man, a kid wouldn't even spend five minutes on that game. The graphics were terrible. The graphics were all the same, whether you were playing soccer or football, you had the same characters and the same dots and the same concept. Basketball, same thing. Baseball, same thing. But it's all we had. I remember when Mattel and Coleco came out with a handheld games. And I had Coleco. A lot of kids had Mattel. But I liked the Coleco. And, man, I got good at that. And I knew all the patterns. And my older cousin, who was six years older than me, he was in high school when I was in fifth, sixth grade. He would take me to the basketball games. And while the girls game was going on, because he played on the varsity boys, he would be having people bet if they could beat me in that Coleco football. And he was making money off little Richie up there knowing how to play that Coleco. And then when he got done and he made $15, $20, he'd slip me 2 or $3 to go to the concession stand. But I didn't realize what was happening. I just thought I was getting a free Coke and maybe a hot dog or some M&Ms out of it. But that guy was making money off of me. I should have been doing that myself. But I loved growing up at that time period. I learned how to ride a bike when I was like four years old. I look back and I have three sons. My children are ages now 25, uh, almost 21, and almost 17. And I look back and they all ride a bike, but they don't ride bikes like what we did. 
everything they did was sports it was rec ball then it was travel ball Uh, i had one son that played travel baseball he played quarterback on his middle school and high school football teams so we spent time at quarterback camps at seven on sevens man i some of my best memories of being a father of being a dad are with my sons at seven on seven camps my middle son played travel basketball from third grade all the way till he graduated high school was an excellent basketball player some of my fondest memories are watching him as a little boy as a young man learning how to compete learning how to excel i remember we're down in cobb county playing in a basketball tournament and they told us we were in whitfield county in dalton georgia the carpet capital of the world and dalton georgia is really good at soccer but that's about it anymore. And I remember uh, my middle son made the uh, all-star basketball team, and we were going down to Cobb County to compete, and the rec department guy said, now listen, y'all aren't going to win. The boys don't ever do well down there. The girls will do okay, but just go down there and have fun. Man, my eight-year-old son got in the car and said, man, that guy's crazy. Why they let him be in charge? We're going down there to win. It's something when an eight-year-old kid can inspire parents more than what the rec director could. But back then, that rec director, he it was funny. He, he drew a paycheck from Dalton, from Whitfield County. He spent all his time at Dalton City watching his kids play sports, and he lived over in Murray County. So I'm like, man, they got the wrong guy for the job anyway. But he was telling those kids, y'all aren't going to do well, so you know, just go down there and have fun. Man, those boys got down there to Cobb County, and they beat the inner city Atlanta team by two in the first game. It was like the uh, Americans beating the Russians in the 1980s hockey you know the miracle on ice nobody would believe it came into the next game beat rome by seven came into the next game beat another team by two and man they were running the table then they ran into a buzzsaw they ran into that team that they beat the first time from uh, college park georgia i believe they had dominique wilkins grandkids on that team they were so big but they uh beat us by eight and went on to win the thing but, man, I look back at that and saw what happened because kids, man, they competed and they believed in what they're doing. Now, today, whatever we're in, whether it's sports, whether it's our jobs, whether it's in building a, a company, you got to believe it, man. you got to go for it. I jumped into comedy about the same time that I was signing a letter of intent with AARP. I was 54 years old when I did my first open mic. I showed up and did an open mic, and when I got done, I thought the same thing I thought when I was a 16-year-old boy the first time I did you-know-what, and I don't mean drive a car. I got done with that open mic, and I said, you know what? I know I can do better than what I just did. And the second thing I thought was I can't wait to do it again. Man, a fire and a passion got ignited in me with stand-up comedy. I went to another open mic. I went to a third one. After five, I said, you know what? I'm turning pro. 
And you might think, Big Rich, you're crazy. But no, I'm telling you, 54 years of age and the life experiences I've had, I was a pastor for 25 plus years, preached over 4,000 sermons. And I tell people in my shows, I said, you know, talking in front of people doesn't bother me. Writing materials a whole lot like writing sermons, especially for Big Rich, because most of my sermons were the stories that I tell now in comedy. So it reminded me of the same. Honestly, the hardest part about doing stand-up for me is the standing. <laughs> Man, I'm wore, I'm wore out already. That's why I like doing a podcast. I can sit down. I said, I want to do sit-down comedy. If they ever make sit-down comedy popular, I'm your guy. Sign me up. I got a show tonight, and I'm going to try to convince the audience to stand and let me sit down. I might even bring my recliner in and set it up on stage. I asked the owner of the, uh, I'm doing it at a coffee shop tonight. Holds about 50 people. We've already sold it out. It's going to be a great time, uh, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. I said, could I bring my recliner in here and do the show? And they're like, Big Rich, there ain't no way. If you come in here with a recliner and start drinking coffee and you get a good old uh, coffee buzz on you, you'll go for hours. We never will get out of here. And the other guy that uh, works there says, you know what? If he keeps drinking all that coffee, eventually he'll have to go to the bathroom. We can get out of here. I looked that boy in the eye and I said, I got one word for you. Depends. See, he's too young to know what that means, but, uh, us older folks, we know, and thank God I don't need them, but I'm going to tell you, I could have put them on and I thought I could have me an endorsement deal right there. Depends a proud sponsor of lazy boy comedy. Big rich is on a roll today. I've already got stuff happening. I'm thinking, man, that would be a lot of fun, but I look and I think back to those days of growing up in the 1900s, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the things that have evolved and changed. Man, being able to do a podcast, man, 40 years ago, people thought I was crazy if I said this is what I was going to be doing. But now, everybody and their brother can do a podcast. But it's something. It's amazing. And I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And I want to encourage you, if you're listening today and you're in the vicinity of some of the shows that I'm putting on, I started doing my own shows. I produce them. I promote them. I headline them. I bring in other acts to assist me and to open. And we have a great time. And I call it Big Rich and Friends. And I've got some shows coming up real soon. I'm going to be in Ringgold, Georgia, the great city of Ringgold, on Friday, June 9th, 7 p.m. at Caffeine Addicts. That's right downtown. You know, Ringgold, Georgia is where Dolly Parton got married. Come on, somebody. You know, she's still married today. So you can come out and get your picture made. They got a big mural of Dolly Parton. You can go over there and get your picture made at the same block that you can come here, Big Rich and Friends. And I've got Bobby Daniels going to be the feature that night, and we're going to have a great time. Tickets are only $15. You can get those on Venmo or Cash App at Big Rich Brock Comedy. Then I'm going to be in Cartersville, Georgia, Thursday, June 15th, in a great winery and brewery called Olive Tree and Vine. You can come out, be a part of that show. I've got Jessica Allgood going to be the feature. She's a tremendous comedian from Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to have us a big time with Big Rich and friends in Cartersville 
Thursday, June 15th, 7 p.m. Same thing. Get your tickets for 15 bucks on Venmo or Cash App at Big Rich Brock Comedy. Give you two more dates to put down. I'm going to be at Big Door Vineyards in White, Georgia. One of the most beautiful venues you're going to find. I'll be there Thursday, June 22nd, 6.30 p.m. with my special guest, Andrew Ledbetter. Andrew is an up-and-coming comic out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the guy is hilarious. He's as good a guy as he is funny, and you'll be entertained. So come out and be a part of that show. And then Friday, the next night, on June 23rd, Bucking Goat Brewery. In Dallas, Georgia, baby, we're going to be there. The Eric Hunter, who was on Last Comic Standing with NBC, will be my opener, and he's a phenomenal comedian, a good friend, and we're going to have a great time on Friday night, June 23rd, right there in Dallas, Georgia. I've got other shows you'll find listed on my website at bigrichbrock.com. Make sure you make a date. Bring your bring your love, bring your friends, bring your mama and them. We're going to have a good time and come out and be a part of a live show. I do clean comedy. You won't be embarrassed. Well, you might be a little embarrassed, but I tell people I do family-friendly comedy. It just depends on what kind of family raised you. Come on, somebody. No, I'm not going to be up there cussing just to cuss. You're not going to hear the F-bomb. You're not going to hear things like that. You're not going to be embarrassed that your mama's sitting with you or your daddy or your in-laws. We're going to have a good time. You're going to have fun. You're going to laugh. You know, the Bible says laughter is like a medicine and Big Rich is writing scripts and taking names because I want to make people laugh and I want to help people to enjoy life. And that's what it's all about. I'm, I talk a lot about my own personal life. I talk about growing up in a small town. I talk about life in the 1900s. You know, I got back from Dry Bar Comedy recently. I did my first national special with Dry Bar Comedy. It's being released very soon, and I'm looking forward to it. And I had to title it. And I've given them a few titles, and they're kind of bouncing them back and forth. I know which one I hope they pick, but I had another title called The 1900s Kid because that's the way I feel. I feel like a lot of things I talked to you about, uh, for you younger guys, it's a history lesson. And for folks in my age bracket, it's a trip down memory lane. And I want to take you on one of those for a few minutes a day. You know, I'm the son of a postman. My father was a letter carrier from the age of 21 until he retired. He worked for his local post office in Chickamauga, Georgia, his hometown, for 34 years. He did one route for 15-plus years. He did the other route for 18-plus. They only had two city routes in Chickamauga. He did them both, so he knew everybody. Not only was he from there, he delivered everybody's mail. What does that mean, Big Rich? That means that I got away with nothing as a child. Because when your daddy knows everybody, and then my mama worked for the district attorney's office, I didn't have a prayer, man. I didn't have a chance of getting away with anything. I remember as a 17, 18-year-old boy, I still a boy because I acted like one, my mama had to type up my court docket. I got 
I got a ticket and I had to go to court and I tried to hide it from them. And my mama, it came across her desk and she had to type it up. She had to leave work early that day. She was so tore up. Cause see, my mom was a sweet woman. I tease and say she was Joel Osteen before there ever was one. Always smiling, always positive, happy, encouraging. And when she saw that little Richie had gotten in trouble with the popo, it just broke her heart. And my daddy, he let me know, and he he took care of it. He said, nobody's going to make my wife feel that way. I said, hey, that's my mama, too. He said, she was my wife before she was your mother's. So you remember that. And you know what? As men, I think more children need to hear things like that. Because honestly, children, they know, they, they know their love when they see the love we have for God and the love that their mom and daddy has for each other if mom and daddy are still together. So it just it just builds upon that foundation. I'm very thankful I've got three sons in my life. They're wonderful young men. They're healthy. They're blessed. They make my life. They're my greatest uh, responsibility, but they're also the greatest thing I've ever accomplished, and I'm very thankful for them. And life you know they don't know their their granddad has passed now my father but they didn't their granddad and my daddy weren't the same people you know what i'm talking about man there's things those grandkids get away with that i never got away with or even close to getting away with now i'm not a grandfather yet thank god i mean praise god i mean okay but and i'll ask you this if you've got children of the age of 10 you'll relate to this, or if you've got grandchildren, you'll relate to it. Now, if you've got both at the same time, we're going to have to have a prayer line. You're going to have to call in. I'm going to have to pray for you because your life is crazy if you've got both. But I remember when I was living as a young boy in Chickamauga, Georgia, man, everything in my life back in the 1900s started and ended with a note. You didn't have cell phones. You didn't have emails. And you'd send a note. Every relationship I ever had as an elementary kid started with a note. You know, you'd write a note says, I like you. Do you like me? Check yes, no, or maybe. Come on, somebody. And I say, hey, pass this back. He'd get back there to the girl. She'd look at it. She'd mark it. They'd pass it back to you. Hopefully the teacher didn't catch you. I'd open it up. If it said yes or maybe, I was in good standing. Because no little Richie, a yes and maybe, were that's the same thing to me. If it said no, I acted real smooth. I said, hey, that's the wrong person. Keep passing it. And I'd pass it around till I got me a yes or a maybe. That's the way you handled notes back in the 1900s. But if you did something wrong at school, they would send a note home. And if it was really bad, they would pin it on your shirt and all the other kids would see it in car rider line or bus line. And they'd be like, Ooh, somebody's going to get in trouble when they get home. Cause back then, if you got in trouble at school in the Brock house, you got worse punishment at home. You're going to get double for your trouble at the Brock house. And man, it was those notes, those notes, those notes. Well, as I got a little bit older, I was a teenager and I started drinking and getting in a little trouble here and there. Here's what happens when your daddy's the mailman in Chickamauga. People would see me out doing things that was not good behavior. 
and they would write a note and leave it in their mailbox for my daddy to pick up. My dad would be out doing his job. And next thing you know, Monday night, we'd sit down for dinner because we'd sit down for dinner like a family. Unless I had ball practice or a church night, we would sit down and eat dinner. So Monday night, my daddy would say the blessing, same blessing that my granddad played, my pap Brock prayed, and then my daddy prayed it. And after he finished, I opened my eyes and there's a bunch of notes laying on the table right there around the pot roast and the potatoes and carrots or some notes. And he would say, Sue, that was my mother's name. Read one of those notes. Man, my mama worked hard all day dealing with attorneys and felons down there at the DA's office. The last thing she wanted to do was do that, but she did. And she read one and it said, Hey, we saw your son out at the ball game Friday night and it looked like he'd been drinking. I said, I'm going to tell you right now, that wasn't me. Dad, that wasn't me. My father said, boy, I got four more notes saying the same thing. <sighs> he goes, read that one, I dog-eared. Y'all know what that means? You know, he bent the corner. My mama picked that one up, and it said, hey, we saw your son at the ball game Friday, and he was intoxicated. He was urinating, relieving himself behind the bleachers at the ball game. And my mama just put her head down and says, oh, Jesus. I said, hey, that wasn't me. My daddy says, I got two more notes saying the same thing. Man, I said the first thing that came to mind. I looked at my father and I said, they put stamps on those notes. He says, no, why? I said, that's a felony right there. Because I learned with the post office, anything you did with the post office was a felony. I remember one time I read my dad's mail. He said, boy, that's a felony right there. You can be locked up for three to five years for reading somebody else's mail. Me and my buddies got caught uh, riding around one night, hitting mailboxes with baseball bats. My daddy said, boy, that's a felony. They can lock you up for doing that. Don't mess with the post office. But those notes were free game. He said, no, that's fine. You know, when I started thinking about it as a grown man, those notes are still following me today. Now I got a car note. Then you get a note on your house, a mortgage. And then when it's all over, you get a death certificate. I guess that's your final note that you have to deal with in this world. But notes were pre-email and pre-text. So communication's always been there. It's just easier now. Sometimes I think it's a little too easy. But, man, I've had fun talking to you today. I hope you have a great week. I hope you enjoy life. Follow me on all social media. Come out to a show and be a part of what's going on. And if you haven't got the Dry Bar Bar Comedy Plus app yet, make sure you do that and tell them Big Rich sent you. Have a great day. This is Big Rich Brock, and I'll see you next week at Big Rich and Friends. You've been listening to another episode of Big Rich Brock and Friends. For more information and past shows, go to our website, bigrichbrockcomedy.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.